the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hello. Welcome back to the uh, Cover 3 Podcast where today... We're going to finish our two-part look at the NFL draft. Uh, on Monday's show, we went over the offensive side of the ball, and if you haven't listened to it yet, I suggest you take the time to do so after you're done with this episode because it's the only other podcast, radio, or television show on the planet that has discussed the NFL draft this week. So if you want to know anything about any of the offensive players that will be selected in the draft starting Thursday night, it's literally the the only option that you have. So you should go listen to it today. We're going to be talking about the defensive side of the ball. And by we, I mean myself, Tom Fernelli and Bud Elliott. It's another two man weave as Danny Cannell is currently on a plane flying to Vegas where he's going to shoot HQ segments between hands of blackjack. <laughs> and Chip is stranded at the cabin where he makes moonshine in the Black Mountains still. So we don't know when he's going to be back, hopefully soon and hopefully with some nice moonshine. Uh, also, now I guess is the time of the show where I am instructed to beg you to subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast on all podcast platforms, as well as our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash cover3. And if you haven't liked this video yet and you're one of the people watching us live on YouTube, please do so now. My self-esteem depends on it. Uh, okay, so I got that out of the way. Bud, how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well, man. Uh, I bit off a little more than I could chew with the summer school series for this week. Yeah. <laughs> we're up to 32 episodes being recorded this week. So 32. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we got a lot, a lot guys, a lot of content coming your way. Um, I, I'm excited. I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the Monday show, the, the 18 minutes that I was able to be on it. And I went back and listened to the rest. It was, it was awesome content. I, I feel like, there's so many shows out there that talk draft from just pure NFL perspective, but mm -hmm. we're pretty blessed to have like a Danny who played in the NFL and also Tom who covers both uh, you know, NFL and, and college you know, for the draft. So um, is chip on vacation in Cancun down, down at Tequila? I mean, uh, listen, Chip. Are, are we allowed to comment? I don't, uh, yeah. I, 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 I'll let chip tell you know everybody about, yeah. you know, the, the major. Um, Can we speculate if he's suspended? Yeah, Chip got suspended. Um, he was he was Find wilded out. Yeah, he he <laughs> wilded out on an ad read. Just started dropping f bombs. Went out of his mind crazy, and now he's being punished for it. And we really don't know when he's going to be back or if he's going to be back. They might be sending him to prison. He said some crazy stuff. Uh, but there's been some before we get to the draft stuff. There has been some you know pretty I guess major news since we last joined you here on Monday. Uh, Mark Emmert, it was announced on Tuesday that Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, will be stepping down sometime before June 2023, which is somewhat of a surprise, but not really a surprise. And I mean, 
what's funny about this is it's like kind of a microcosm of the way the NCAA has been treated in general. Because if like you look around at people in this industry, just to be blunt, there are there have always been a lot of people who have, you know, carried water for certain people in certain positions because those people feed them information and they don't want to anger them because they want to keep getting the information. The flood of columns and tweets from a lot of those same people just dunking on Mark Emmert since this decision was announced is just like, wow, did anybody, is there anybody out there who liked Mark Emmert? You know, I think the schools probably like Mark Emmert. I mean, so to me, Mark Emmert is, he's a PR guy. Yeah. Right? Like the schools make the policy. Mark Emmert doesn't make the policies. Mark, Mark Emmert is somebody who knows a whole lot of people. They put him up there. He gets paid a heck of a lot of money to take all of the shots for the ridiculous policies that the schools try. Like the schools are the, the NCAA. So the schools come out with these policies. Mark Emmert's like, we believe in this. Even if Mark Emmert privately is, Hopefully, maybe, possibly thinking this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but this check's going to cash. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, it's almost like if you're a realtor and your client's like, hey, we want to put in like an offer 100K under ask. Like, well, that's not going to work, but uh, well, it's actually a bad example because realtors are going to get paid on commission. So if the realtor was like, like, no, <laughs> like, hey, if you, if, if you give me like a flat fee here, uh, regardless if you get the house, I will go ahead and, and do it. Um, you know, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, the one thing, Tom, I would say here is that we know the transformation committee uh, is, is meeting and we, we think the NCAA will, regardless of what, how you think it'll look different, we, I think we all agree that it will look uh, vastly different in the coming years. And it will probably uh, be doing an about face on a number of the policies that the schools had Emmert voice. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense from that perspective to have a new uh, figurehead for the NCAA if all of a sudden, because the new guy won't have to answer questions of, hey, wait a second, the old guy said this, this, and this. Like, well, that's, you know, if the old guy isn't you, you don't have to answer those questions quite as much. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy to think that not only when Mark Emmert steps down as the president of the NCAA, that he'll be the last president of the NCAA. Like, it, there's a there's a decent chance, like, you know, you've already I've already seen columns like floated of like possible replacements for him and all that kind of stuff. It's people you haven't heard of for the most part, unless you're like very much in tune with the NCAA. But I mean, I think like you said, they've, we're going to see a dramatic shift in the governance, I think, of college athletics. And I wouldn't be surprised if they never really announce a new president of the NCAA. They just kind of do this new constitution thing and then they have whatever the heck that person is going to be called ahead of whatever the heck that organization is going to be called be the new person that comes over. But as far as Mark Emmert's tenure, like you mentioned it, like, I don't know who on the planet could have taken over the NCAA at the time Mark Emmert did and been considered a success. Because, like, if you go back, like, Mark Emmert took over in 2010. And when he first took the job, like, he was one of the first things he was pushing was like increasing uh, the cost of attendance like two grand, like giving players an additional $2,000 a year for stipend to match, you know, the, the actual cost of attendance. And he tried to push that. He uh, he pushed for four year scholarships. He you know Mike Slive started it, but Emmert was openly supportive of it. And then the people who were his bosses, essentially the people running the schools, didn't let it happen. They kind of pushed it back. So whether it was Mark Emmert or somebody else, I feel like like you're saying he was just a guy that was 
being the mouthpiece of what the people who were actually in charge wanted him to do and say what he wanted to say. And while the NCAA kind of crashed along the shores under his tenure, I'm not sure who could have been captaining the ship to avoid those rocks, just the way that things were going, where, you know, you just look at the country, like I said, everybody was dunking on him. But like, so were politicians, like dunking on Mark Emmert and the NCAA and the whole amateurism model just kind of became free points for a lot of politicians in states all across the country, because everybody kind of agreed to that point that these athletes were getting screwed and the rules that the NCAA had for quote unquote amateurism and trying to protect these players from being exploited were, were crap and everybody knew it. It was just an old model that needed to be updated. And I feel like Mark Emmert got paid handsomely just to take the final slings and arrows of a dying era. So. I mean, it's hard to lose nine nothing in the Supreme Court. Most people like like think about how divided the Supreme Court is politically. On, on uh, you lost you nine put, nothing. You could put like a banana out there, and it'd be a five four vote as to whether or not it's a banana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most people give up at that point, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't think the, the change for Mark Emmert will have that big of a deal. Uh, I just think that there will be a lot of changes coming, and having a new, a new pitch man is uh, is probably the right move for them. Yeah, so it's there's going to be a whole lot of attention paid to who's going to replace them. Uh, it's not going to matter. Doesn't matter who they name. It, it's going to be a figurehead. It's what's going to matter is the governance and the rules and all that kind of stuff. And whether somebody like has just I don't know. It needs to be a consensus. Which in this sport, the way things have always worked, I don't know if they'll ever reach one. But Good I think we've, yeah, we we've seen things trending the last few years that we know what direction this is going. It's going to be more professionalized, and maybe you're going to have more of a commissioner kind of figure than an NCAA president kind of figure. Um, speaking of presidential figures, Bob Stoops was speaking to the Oklahoma State Legislature earlier this week. And just a reminder that Oklahoma fans do not care about Lincoln Riley. They're totally over Lincoln Riley. They don't even remember his name. They've got a new boyfriend now. His name is Bob Venables. And he is the best. He treats them wonderful. He's great. He's he's good to the kids. He's an awesome stepdad. He's just wonderful. Bob, Bob Stoops in the Oklahoma State Legislature had to just assure the legislators of the great state of Oklahoma that Lincoln Riley did not invent Oklahoma football. So can we declare that Oklahoma is over Lincoln Riley officially now? Uh, they, they're 100% totally over it. They're, they're, they're not creating a second Instagram account to check out Lincoln Riley's pictures from the beach. <laughs> just Definitely that. not. Oh, oh, that's like you're just all of a sudden Lincoln Riley checks his Instagram feed and he's got a notification of somebody liked a photo of him from like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like that's like who the hell's going that far into my photos on Instagram? Yeah, you know who Oklahoma is. Uh, so I love this sport, man. This is, like you, you don't get this stuff in the NFL. <laughs> and then Lincoln Riley issued that open letter earlier this week, too, on the Players' Tribune, like trying to explain why he left Oklahoma for USC. And it was just I don't think he I can't. It, there was nothing in that letter. I think that's even worth reading. But it was just yeah. it was like, OK, cool. Like, why? What world are we in in which Bob Stopes has to speak to a state legislature and Lincoln Riley has to pen open letters? It's like, listen, it's I understand that it's strange. You don't normally see head coaches of blue blood programs leaving for other, you know, blue blood programs, but it's a weird, you didn't used to see players announcing their commitments to new schools by linking to the companies that are paying them to do it either. It's a wild new world we're living in and you're just kind of going to have to get used to it. And I feel like Oklahoma fans are just 
they got hit with the very first kind of shockwave of what the new reality of this game and this sport is going to be. And I think you'll be fine. I think everybody will be fine. You'll get over it. I just hope you guys can find peace sometime. And, and an, another small news story that kind of broke last night, which I was not surprised by, although I am somewhat surprised by the timing just because you don't typically see it. Baylor announced that Blake Shapin is going to be the starting quarterback. Gary Bohannon, his time is done. He started most of the year last year for the Bears. They won 10 games. He missed the final two games of the year because of a hamstring injury in which Blake Shapin came in, including the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma State, which the Bears won. And he went 2-0 and he played well. And apparently he really outplayed Bohannon during spring because Dave Aranda announced that he's a starter. And I think it's a good move because Bohannon is a fifth-year senior. And the transfer portal deadline, if you want to be eligible to play next year, is May 1st. So at least they're giving Bohannon the chance. If he wants to leave and go find another job, he's got a chance to do that. that, that that's a good thing for them uh, to do. I'm actually talking to our 24-7 sports Baylor guys at, uh, what is it, I think 1210? Uh, today for the summer school series. I, I did a little deep dive on Baylor this morning. Um, it's interesting because Shapin took care of the ball uh, very well. He was 5-0, touchdown interception. The completion rate was actually, I think, seven, or, 71%. I my notes here. Uh, yeah. yeah, 71%. Um, however, I will note that the adjusted net yards per attempt were under seven. Mm -hmm. So this was a lot of dink and dunk. Um, I think the court, like Baylor has to get improved quarterback play this year if it has any hope of competing for the Big 12 again. Now, uh, they were 5-1 and one in games last year that were within a, uh, a touchdown in the final five minutes. And obviously one of those, you know, and the, the Sugar Bowl is not included in that, I believe. So, uh, you know, like getting better quarterback play will really help them because they lost Abram Smith and Tr Tristan Ebner. Additionally, they also lost Tyquan Thornton, RJ Sneed, Drew Estrada, and they threw the ball a lot to Ebner. So that's, that's a whole lot of targets. Uh, now, they'll still be a damn good team. I think Rand is probably a pretty good coach. Mm -hmm. it's a small sample, but I, I kind of believe in him. Defensively, they also did a lot of really creative stuff on the back end, and they lost uh, Jalen Petra. They lost five of their top. Yeah, yeah they, had set, they had seven guys get 350-plus snaps in the secondary. They lost five to seven. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Yeah, especially in the Big 12 where you're going to be facing a whole lot of passing offenses. See, I, I think we're probably, regardless of whether it was Bohannon or Shapin, I don't know if Baylor is going to win 10 games again this year, but I don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth either. I think I think that they've just kind of reached that point where they're a solid program in the Big 12, and if things break right, they could be winning, you know, playing for the title or they're at the very least you know, ending up in a decent bowl game. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think that they're going to backslide to a point where they are worried about um, a bowl game. Um, they they get, the non-conference Baylor always seems to do this right. It's either three cupcakes or two cupcakes and one. Okay, mm -hmm. like they don't they don't do the hey here let's put Alabama on the schedule type thing. Usually, right. um, Albany, BYU, Texas State. Speaking of cupcakes, the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock in the NFL let's do it, which begins Thursday. And some kind of breaking news right <clears throat> right before we started the show they ex they have signed their left tackle Cam Robinson to a contract extension. That tells me that they're probably not going to be taking one of the offensive tackles with the number one pick. So I'm thinking that the Jaguars, the first pick of the NFL draft is going to be an edge rusher. So that's where we are going to start our look on the defensive side of the ball with the edge rusher position, which I think if you kind of grade the positions in this draft along with wide receivers, it's probably at the top. 
maybe offensive tackles if you if you really like a few of the guys once you get past the top two, which I think there are still good ones, but I, th- I still think it's mostly a two-tackle class. But um, so a lot of mocks for the last few weeks have had Aiden Hutchinson going to the Jaguars. Lately, we have seen Georgia's Trevon Walker kind of becoming the, you know, trendy pick for the Jaguars at number one. You looking at the edge rusher class class here with Hutchinson, with Walker, with Kayvon Thibodeau, George Karloftis, Jermaine Johnson. Who's your top guy? And if you're the Jaguars, who would you be taking? It's a really interesting question. Um, I think I think I would roll the dice with Walker just because of the athleticism. But he was not super productive at Georgia. He was kind of raw coming out. I mean, he was a dude who was like literally playing stand up, and we all knew eventually he would be a hand in the dirt guy. I do think he also offers some positional versatility. Like, you're not going to have him playing stand up a whole lot, but he can play more of a true D end, even at his his size, which is really impressive. Like, like he's a thick dude, mm-hmm. uh, but he also can play more of that, you know, five six tech if you need him to. I don't I don't know if you can if you want to go four eye in the NFL with him, but. Uh, the athleticism's off the charts. I think his best football is probably ahead of him. And if I'm picking number one overall, I want a guy who I feel like has significantly more upside to still unlock or is just already a total stud. And it, I think you can make an argument for a lot of these guys, right? Um, yeah. You know, with Hutchinson, he was super productive. If you look at how he was productive, I will note, like, a lot of his production came on inside counters. And inside counters work better if dudes are afraid of your speed to the outside, which in college, I think more guys probably were uh, of Hutch than they will be in the NFL. So that's not me saying he won't be good in the NFL. I think he probably will be really damn good. Uh, But I do wonder if the NFL guys who have better balance and better reactive quickness, can they, if they're not so worried about the outside stuff, do they stone some of his inside moves? Um, So Walker makes some sense athletically. None of these guys I think are locks to be all, all pros. I mean, with Thibodeau, you hear a lot of these draft dudes talking about uh, dedication to the game. Um, I think that's a question that's been asked since he was a recruit. Mm-hmm. And yet, he still played really well when he was healthy. So mm-hmm. I think he'll play pretty damn well. Like, he may not be a guy who wants – maybe doesn't want to play 15 years. Maybe he's like one of these Barry Sanders types. Like, All right, cool, I played. I'm out. I have some other interests. But I think while he plays, he still plays good. Yeah, I, I think, like, when you look at these guys, like Hutchinson to me – is a high floor option in that I don't know if he's going to be a star. Like you said, I don't know if he's going to be a perennial all pro, but it's, it's weird because a few years ago, like when I had to do my, after whatever the last two, three drafts ago, I had to do my way too early mock draft for the next year. I had Hutchinson in there, but I had him going as like a late first. I think I had him at 22nd or 23rd, whoever the team was at that point. And so obviously I've always thought this guy's an NFL talent. And now the fact that like, he's going to be a number one pick, I'm just kind of like, I, I I don't know if I ever saw that. Of course he has improved a lot and he had a very productive season for Michigan last year. It's just, I don't see like the super high ceiling kind of pass rusher that you'd probably want to be taking at number one. Now, maybe that's just the fact that he's at number one in the conversation speaks larger to this draft class overall, But I think that he's a guy who's going to be a solid NFL player for a while. I don't think he's ever going to be a league leader in sacks. I don't think he's ever going to be like the the highest paid edge rusher in the league. I just think he's going to be a dude who he's going to play for a while. He's going to get seven to 10 sacks a year, and you're never going to be complaining about having him. But one of the concerns that I have, like when I broke down, I'm looking at his games this year, and the one thing that stood out to me, 
like he had some big like against Ohio State he was an absolute monster and he had a lot of great performances as far as you know putting pressure on the quarterback and getting sacks in Michigan's biggest games but there was only one game this year where he did not have a single pressure or a single sack do you have any guesses which one it was I do. It was the game where if you asked me to pick out who's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, I would not have picked out anybody on Michigan's defensive line. <laughs> yeah. Like against Georgia, he was not erased, but he was not nearly as effective. And I look at that Georgia offensive line and I'm like, that's a lot closer to what he's going to be dealing with on a regular basis at the NFL level. So for me, that is a concern for Trevon Walker. The, the thing that's hard for me to get my brain around is I th- I agree. He's a tremendous athlete. And when he went to the combine, like what he's able to do there, it's like, of course, teams are going to fall in love with him. Cause it's like, holy crap, look at the size of this guy and look at what he's able to do compared to what these other guys are doing. It's like, duh. And some of it is the scheme at Georgia where he wasn't really asked to be the pass rusher kind of guy. It was like kind of, you know, just being in a role, but it's just when I watched Georgia's defense last year. And again, I, we talked about it all season long. There's so many phenomenal players on it. He was rarely the guy that stood out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like there were other dudes on that line who stood out more frequently. The linebackers stood out more frequently. Like he was just, he was doing a lot of grunt work. So I have to give him credit for that. And maybe he's just a really good teammate. Maybe the fact that he was willing to sacrifice some of his own potential stats or plays to help the rest of the guys kind of speaks to maybe his how successful he'll be at the next level and why you would want him on your team. But I'm still somewhat hesitant about taking that with the first pick of the draft. And then, as you said, with Thibodeau, there are definitely low plays. Like so, oh, Tom. Ahead. I kind of like that. So w- Walker was rated super highly as a recruit because of of that freaky size speed combo, and I kind of like that he was willing to to be to do some of the grunt work at times, even as a guy who you would think of as as like, hey, like you know, use that speed off the edge, pass rusher. I mean, he did drop down inside a good bit. The, the question there is going to be just can. Can he develop those pass rush moves? Can he be somebody who's truly a threat off the edge? Can he, can he, can he convert those testing times uh, into you know flying around the edge and, and really being somebody who, who applies that edge pressure as well as being able to drop inside uh, some? But I, I I agree with you. Like, like I do think. Is there anybody really feel great about taking a number no. one in this draft? No, Not really. Like, no, that's they could work thing. out great. But yeah. I mean, that's like going to Thibodeau now, like you mentioned, like the questions about his his love for football and all that kind of stuff. It's like he's my number one player in this draft just because I feel like when he's playing and he's healthy, he's capable of doing things like it's not just size, athleticism, test numbers and production. It's just watching him on the field like you'd watch him. and It's like it's it was never hard to figure out who the best player on the field was every single right. time he was out there. So to me, that stands out. And there were loaf plays, and that's that's a concern. It's just for me, I care about the quote-unquote desire or love of football as far as evaluating prospect. It's just that's more of a tiebreaker situation to me when it's the players are comparable. I don't know how many players in this class are really genuinely comparable to Thibodeau as far as a talent and size and measurable combination. So for me, he's the number one, but I understand why some teams would be scared off. Um, other, I, I, I will say edge rusher wise, I don't think Jermaine Johnson is going to go number one overall or anything like that. No, um, but, he's but I will tell you like Forte's coaches, they not only do they love his production, they love that kid as far as like what he did coming in, transforming some of the culture, establishing the work ethic. And that's rare for a transfer 
mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Like, I think Jermaine Johnson is going to go in the top 10 tonight. I think he's going to go over some guys that people will be surprised about because I think he's going to, like, you, you see him in person and you're like, whoa, okay, this guy's legitimately like big. I mean, he's like 6'5, 250, 260. Um, I think they're going to say, yeah, okay, he's going to be productive. He's going to be a culture guy too. He's got some of the most impressive tape of all the edge rushers in this class. Like when you watch him last year at Florida State, there was, he was, you know, kind of like in that Thibodeau mode where you were watching and you're just like, he's the guy that's just completely flashing. Now, some of that was the fact that, like, when it comes to the Georgia guys, it's hard to stand out on that defense with all the guys that sure. they have. So when you're looking at the rest of Florida State defense, of course, he's going to be the guy standing out. But no, he was, he's a really good player. Now, you're right. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes top 10. Another edge rusher who could go top 10, but I think is a safe bet to be in the first round at least. I, I wouldn't take him in the top 10. George Karloftis from Purdue, who, like, at times when you would watch Purdue this year, I would audibly chuckle just because he was so much stronger than the offensive tackle or sometimes even yeah. the guard or the tight end that was forced to try to get in front of him, and he would just overpower him. My, my, my concern with Karloftis is I feel like he's already tapped out like, I think he already is who he is, and he's probably going to be, like, I think he's been who he is for the last few years. Honestly, I don't know how much more maximum there is, but I think that that could be a very solid kind of player at the big level, kind of like a another Purdue edge rush from years past, Ryan Kerrigan. I think Karloftis could be a Ryan Kerrigan type. Uh, how about a sleeper? Like, you mentioned Jermaine Johnson. Is there somebody else who might not be a first-round pick, but you think is a, has a possibility to be a very productive NFL player and might be a steal for somebody? Is Kyrie Elam considered a first-round lock? Uh, I, I mean, at the edge rusher spot. Oh, at the edge rusher spot. I, I guess a, a Jabo may, like, maybe. Um, Depending on the just, injury. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, will somebody sneak up and get him? I, I think there's kind of a, a legitimate four or five that could go in the first round here. And then I think there's a bit of a drop off. Do you have a sleeper you like? Yeah, there's two. I like Arnold Ebikidi, who's from Penn State, a transfer from Temple. I just think he's got he's he needs refinement with his hands, especially, but he's very he's got good bend. He's twitchy. I think he's, you know, he's a guy who if you you polish him up a little bit, could end up being pretty good, especially in the right defense. And then another guy who I feel like I, I've been on him, he's kind of old now. He's for, at least for the draft. He's 23 now. But he's been a guy at Minnesota who has shown flashes. And he's just, he's like, he's been on Bruce Feldman's freaks list for the last few years. Boye Mafe, I think, is a guy who, with a little more refinement, could end up being somebody who's very good at the edge rusher position. But uh, yeah, so that's, I feel like that's a good place to end it with the edge rushers. So, you know, I think maybe we'll, we'll go to break now. And uh, after the break, we will talk about the rest of the defensive players, the defensive backs, the linebackers. Everybody, no special teamers though. I don't unless do you really want to talk about Matariza? I don't. So not really. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go to break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And we are back. I feel like The Offer is not only the title of a show on Paramount Plus, but maybe like a movie we should do about recruiting. Um, So we talked about the edge rushers in the first segment. Let's get to the defensive backs. And I kind of think I know which direction you're going here, because as you shared in our group text yesterday, you've you've got a bet placed on a certain player going at a certain spot. So of the corners in this draft, I feel like it's a kind of a two-player debate for the most part. There's Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, and there's Derek Stingley from LSU. Who's going off the board first and why? I, I went ahead and took Sauce Gardner at plus 300 earlier this week, and I took him again at some plus – or excuse me, not Sauce Gardner. Derek Stingley at, at 360 uh, earlier this week. I, I feel like there was legitimate talk that Stingley was the best player on, on that that championship LSU team mm-hmm. at times. Uh, now, I don't think he ended up being the best player. Obviously, Joe Burrow was really damn good, and Jamar, Jamar Chase as well. He's just always kind of been that dude. I thought he was honestly the safest uh, player for number one in the, the 2019 recruiting class. Uh, he has the side. He has the speed. When he played, he, he played in, in a very difficult division. I think he can play off coverage. I think he can press. I think he can flip his hips. Um, Gardner might be a little more freaky, and he's really, really good uh, at press. And if you're a team that just wants to press like crazy, not that he can't play other techniques, uh, but to me, he's more of the, the press guy. I, I just think you, you look at Stingley and you're like, man, that dude's best football is probably ahead of him too. You know, I really, I really like what I see there. It wouldn't shock me to see him go go first. I, I don't, I don't really understand the. Uh, ev- I mean, maybe it's just insider NFL info I don't have, but like almost all of these mocks have uh, have Gardner over Stingley, and just having seen Stingley in person, sometimes when I bet these draft props, I'm like, all right, you know what, that dude is like a real real freak. It has been since like sixteen. And I think when the NFL teams see these guys in person and they meet with them, like, oh, yeah, okay, like we don't want to pass on this. I think I think with Stingley, the, the concern is just like it's the same thing with Thibodeau. Like Thibodeau's a great player, but like teams are worried about his love for football. I think with Stingley, it's that in 2019, he was awesome. And then he hasn't really had great like he in 2020 he had the leg injury. Last year he had foot injuries. So like he's been banged up the last few years. So teams are probably a little bit concerned about his ability. Like just was he a one year wonder is, is his health going to be a consistent problem going forward? Or did he catch LSU disease, which we have seen a lot of players catch who like going going back to Leonard Fournette, a lot of guys just kind of had injuries and were like, eh, shut it down. Cause I'm going to be in the pros. And you look at what happened at LSU the last few years with Ed Orgeron since they won the national title and just kind of the craziness going on there. It's possible Stingley just said, I'm really not going to kill myself for this. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's true. I also think that if you're an NFL team, you need to differentiate, like, is it the guy or is it the guy, the people around the guy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, can you, uh, you know, can you separate the two uh, once they get into the NFL? I think if you're Stingley, you're like, I'm a dude. If I stay healthy, I'm a first round pick. I went out and won a ring as a true freshman, played extremely well. And LSU is a bona fide blank show. And I just don't need to be around this quite as much. 
Yeah. That, like I'm, he didn't come out and said that, but I agree with you, Tom. I think that's probably the, the correct evaluation if that's the evaluation that he made. Um, I think he's a competitive player, though. I, I, mm-hmm. I do. Uh, and I don't think the NFL cares. Look at look at Parsons, who sat out. Look at Jamar Chase, another LSU player, sat out the yeah. entire season. He didn't seem to have any problems finding his sea legs once he got to the NFL. I, I, I'm with you, too. He competes. I, yeah, I, I think Derek Stingley is the best corner in this draft. It's just we'll see if an NFL team – like, he could go number one overall. The, you, you, it won't happen. But I'm saying if he went number one overall, I'd be like, yeah, no, I understand completely. Totally get it. Like, Yeah. I will say Brenson this morning. I found I found one. Uh, what do we think about Brenson's mock drafts? Uh, I don't think anything of Will Brinson. Not as good as Tom Fernelli's mock drafts. No, they're terrible. Is Ryan Wilson like who? Who was most accurate last year? I don't know who was most accurate. I respect Ryan's opinion more than Will's. <laughs> yeah. So Will got me excited this morning. He he put Stingley at third to the Texans. I could so. see that because you know what I I actually. Knowing Lovey Smith the way I look, I know Lovey Smith. I think he'd rather have Gardner than Stingley because they play so much cover three and cover two, and he does a lot of pressing with his corners up top. And Gardner's long. He's I, I would I, Is I Lovey think, Smith the coach of the Texans. Yeah, and I would bet if he's got any say in personnel decisions, Gardner's above Stingley on their board. Are the Texans tanking and just not saying it? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I I feel like their actions are saying. What's funny, I I. There's like, well, I can't remember what site it was, but there was a, there's like a site that does like, you know, team needs for, you know, the draft needs for the teams. And, you know, it's, it'll list like two or three positions, the biggest ones for each school or team. And for Houston, it just said everything. <laughs> like there is no position on that team that they do not need, except on honestly, ironically enough, I feel like quarterback is the one thing that they're solid on. I think they genuinely like Davis Mills, but yeah, I, I would not take any of these quarterbacks over Davis Mills. No, no, I don't think no, not, not at a first round price. Let, let, me, let me clarify that. I, they got Davis Mills, what third or fourth round last year? Yeah. I mean, and that's, the, I, I wrote about this too. We talked about it a little bit on Monday's show, but I, I wrote about it in my quarterback rankings. Like it's the reason I, I always say I, a lot of quarterback classes, I wouldn't take any of them in the first round just because I don't think they're great, but they're always getting drafted in the first round. But I feel like this year is the perfect year not to take any in the first round, not because it's just because it's a talent deficiency. It's just the difference between these guys is minimal. So, like the quarterback you're good, you could take in the first round isn't really going to be any better than the guy you're getting in the third. So, from that aspect, but anyways, back to this Stingley and Gardner. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Stingley's the best corner. I think he has the chance to be the pro bowler, kind of all pro guy in this class. But it's kind of a question for you like, the, is this defensive back class just not good because i i think stingley's good i think gardner's good and i think there are good prospects i think kyle hamilton gets you know might go top 10 but honestly i understand why some teams are scared off of him just with his speed i just it's i i feel like this is kind of of kyle hamilton's speed yeah i I, i'll go to bat for kyle hamilton i i i think he'll be be legit um to me he's always been an elite level you know athlete i maybe didn't test very well uh like see Go back and watch the pick that he made in the Florida State game. Mm-hmm. Uh, flying across the entire field. To- total opposite hash. I mean, like that, like he's got some some pretty serious speed, I I think. Um he he did I think have the other safeties are kind of asking. 
Yeah, he had the knee injury last year, and maybe he just hasn't completely recovered from it. Because, I mean, I can't remember what his 40 time was off the top of my head, but it was not it was not great. But, yeah, no, I that's the thing. Like, I look at the safety class here, and it's like I feel like that's probably why Kyle Hamilton's going to go so early because there are other safeties I like, but I feel like the other good safeties in this class are kind of the hybrid dudes, like the Jalen Petras and the Daxton Hills who play some safety but are probably more of a corner slot kind of guy. Yeah, and I also feel like Jalen Petrie. Um, I don't know if he's a guy I would take first round. Maybe I'll get old takes, you know, or uh, cold takes here. But yeah, I think the drop off after Hamilton for me is is decent. I, I like some of these corners though. I I think Kiri Lim can can really compete. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Roger McCreary is a damn good corner. Like, is he, is he getting mocked first round? More, no, I more think second he's third stuff, more of right? A second rounder, yeah. I've seen. Um, I I had Elam in a couple of my first round mocks. I don't know how NFL teams feel about him, but what I like about him is just of the corners in this class. I think he's just like the best playmaker. Honestly, he, I think he, he's yeah, got he a nose for the football that <clears throat> the other guys just don't have. It's like he's got that preternatural sense that you kind of separate some corners from others because he just kind of knows where the ball is going to be. And he's big, he's physical. So, yeah, he's a guy that I like a lot. You know, one uh, one that I, I do want to point out here, um, and I don't think he should be a first-rounder, but I wouldn't shock me if he did go first round uh, because after talking to Rusty Mansell for our summer school series on twenty four or for Cover 3 with our 24-7 sports experts, I was going over, I was like, well, the secondary should be better, right, for Georgia, because obviously the front seven is not going to be better for Georgia, given what they just lost. And Rusty uh, was like, well, I think so, but, man, i got to tell you, like, the staff really thinks that that, that Lewis Seen is, is a big loss. Like, they really thought highly of him. So given that Kirby just had one of the better defenses in, in my lifetime uh, at that school, especially front seven, but uh, my guess is he gave pretty good feedback to these NFL teams on, on Lewis Seen, so it wouldn't shock me. Uh, to see Lewisine rise up. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any draft props on him, but maybe if these expand, like Lewisine first round, if I could get a pretty obscene price, uh, <laughs> would definitely be something I'd be looking to take a nibble on. Right, we talked about it, some of them already, but now that we're back on the topic of Georgia, how many Georgia players are going in the first round on Thursday night? All right. Which ones are you, are you like, are you absolutely sure? I think Trevon Walker is a no doubt going in the first round at this point. I think Devontae Wyatt is going in the first round at this point. I think Jordan Davis is going in the first round. I think those three for sure. I think Nicobe Dean should go in the fourth round, but as we'll get to momentarily, I wait, fourth I, round or first round. I'm sorry. First, okay. I feel like that's four. I think George Pickens could slide into the first round at the back end. If teams just kind of, you know, I, I don't know, but there's, there's some red flags about, can Pickens. you look past all the stuff? That's that's why I don't know if he's going to be a first round pick. So the talents there. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Scene could sneak it. So I think we could see as many as six, maybe seven. Depend if somebody falls in love with Quay Walker, we could see seven. But it kind of goes. I think four for sure, maybe seven. Here's the thing. I, I will push back on the idea of seven and six because a lot of these guys are going to be an either or decision for one team making a defensive pick at the end of the draft or at the end of the first round, like the team that wants either Lewis seen or Quay Walker or Nicobe Dean, uh, like whoever doesn't get picked is probably not getting picked next. Like, I don't think they're, I don't think we're going to go three of the last five picks of the, of the first round or, or all Georgia guys. You know, I think it'll probably be like, Hey, I'll trade up a spot so I, I can go get Quay Walker. And the team that wants Quay Walker may not want Nicobe Dean or, or reverse. Um, but I, I don't know. 
more than four, less than seven. It's five or six, I guess. So if I set the over under at four and a half, you going over or under? I think I'm going over. So do I. Uh, it's speaking of Nicobe Dean, like are linebackers the new running backs? Because I think Nicobe Dean is one of the safer picks in this draft. I think Devin Lloyd is a very good player in this draft, but like as like a Bears fan, Roquan Smith, who was the guy that played, you know, at Georgia at that same position of Dean's before Dean took over. The Bears got him, I think, at eight, and I love him. He's been great. He's the best player on the Bears defense, and he has been for the last few years. It's just the way that teams look at positions right now, it's just it's not as valuable for teams to be taking those guys in the top 10. And we're seeing, like, I've heard some whispers, like, Dean might slip out of the first round, and most teams have him as the number one linebacker on their board, but none of them are going to be, like, a lot of them aren't willing to take a linebacker in the first round. I, I thought he was very good in coverage uh, last year, ultimately. So, um, I think your point's valid, but I don't think it's quite the extent of running backs. Because I do think that like running backs, for the most part, get the yards that are schemed up in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I, I still think that linebackers, if you get a true difference maker, it's a fairly big deal because of some of the stuff you can do coverage-wise. Uh, like I think, I think when San Fran had Patrick Willis, obviously, like that, that changed some of the things they could do. But you really got to be able to cover because it's just such a passing league now. I don't really care if you can run stop or not You know, at a certain that, level. I think that's some of the team's concerns with Dean is just his overall size and his ability to cover because of it. But I think that I don't know that there's a smarter player in the draft than Nicobe Dean. I just he his the way he's able to diagnose what's coming and figure things out before the snap. And then even after the ball has been snapped and just kind of he knows where to be before I feel like the offense knows where the ball is going. And you just it's like that is the one thing that really stands out to me about him watching tape. And that's why, honestly, like I said, I think he is the safest pick in this draft on the defensive side of the ball. Do you think Christian Harris has a chance to go first round? I think he could sneak in the late first. Yeah, but it's it's again, it's going to come down to how teams value like linebackers, like just using one team as an example, the Philadelphia Eagles, like the fan base is crying for them to draft a damn linebacker because they feel like it's one of the biggest needs. And they look and it's like Kobe Dean's going to be on the board we've got one of our picks although they traded so it may be, but still but you know the eagles aren't going to draft a linebacker because the eagles the only in the first round all the eagles have drafted with this current regime that they have are wide receivers offensive linemen and defensive linemen that's it they don't or, or quarterbacks so it's like unless it's one of those four value positions they're just really not interested in them so i and i think that as we've seen kind of a more analytical bent in nfl front offices that maybe we've seen as recently as five ten years ago i think a lot more teams are kind of taking that kind of approach there's a prop i'm looking at here tom i I wanted to bring this up this is very college related most first round picks among among this trio georgia minus 300 bama plus 260 michigan plus 260 that seems short to you (sighs) Mm -hmm. yeah a little bit because, I mean, I don't think Michigan's got a chance. I, I think that if Ojabo had not torn his Achilles, Michigan might have a chance because I think that you could see Hutchinson, Hill, and Ojabo all go in the first round. It's only three guys, though. How are yeah, they going to get that? That's what like, I'm saying. It's like, I feel like at a minimum, we're going to see four Georgia guys. Minimum. <laughs> that's kind of my thought, too. Obviously, the comments are saying that, that Wyatt is off the boards of some people because of off-field. I don't, I don't know what that's all about, but it only takes one. 
I hope Wyatt falls off the boards of a lot of teams until number 39 when the Bears are on the clock and then he's back on the board. <laughs> Is that y'all's first pick? Yeah. It's got Justin uh, Fields, though, so. Oh, well, yeah, okay. I I mean, that's a much better. There are no Justin Fields in this draft. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> good, good job, Lions, for, for looking at 2019 recruiting ranking. You'd be like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, we're we're going to need to make an adjustment here. Um, how high do you think Jordan Davis will go? Oh, see, I think I've heard that the Ravens are going to take him. I think the Ravens are at 14. I think that he's somebody they like. And I don't think if he's still on the board at 17 when the Chargers are on the clock, I think he's going to the Chargers. Because if you look at that team, they are a team that has a lot of what it needs. They're very close to being a very solid team. But the one area they truly sucked in last year was run defense. And I feel like while I would not take that position, like I do not think just point blank, I don't think Jordan Davis is ever going to evolve into a great pass rusher on the interior i just i would agree i just is as freaky athletic as he is if that was going to be the case i feel like he should be doing it to college offensive linemen already but if you're the chargers and that's one area like you feel like if we shore up our run defense and we've got bosa on one side and khalil mack on the other we can afford to just put jordan davis in the middle to clock things up and let our linebackers flow freely to the ball that will help our defense tremendously we have justin herbert we know we're going to score points so i think for a team like that he makes a lot of sense in the first round so i think the ravens or chargers are going to take him i think that's fair um uh, that's, that's a question for yesterday's show on the offense, but I, I, I just wanted to know, I'm not really sold on some of these back, back in the first half uh, offensive linemen that I'm seeing. I think the top guys are pretty damn legit, but I'm just not totally sold. Like, I don't know. Mm. Lindebaum, Zion Johnson, Central Michigan kid, Kenyon Green. Like, do you think those are no doubt first round? I think they will be picked in the first round. I just don't know if they're like no doubt first round type dudes i but love like, i Bum. i think he'll be a first rounder i think to not a team that runs his own scheme yeah i i okay. i just think that whether it's i think the titans could take him i think the bengals could take him i think there are a number of teams that just kind of are going to be looking for an interior offensive lineman who are going to say that guy like that that's the dude we want i think Kenyon green could sneak in i some teams like zion johnson i'm not as high on him as a lot of people i mean i think he's fine i don't think there's i don't think he's a first round talent I think he's a guy I'd gladly take in the second or third. And I mean like mid second to third, but I, some teams are really into him. Uh, I think Kenny green, his versatility will appeal to some people. I think he's got a chance to be one of the better interior offensive linemen in this draft. So yeah, I, I don't think those guys are first rounders, but I do think they're going to be Friday picks. I will say um, Jordan brought up a really good point in chat. Devin Lloyd, as far as backers uh, is probably locked to go first round. Yeah, I feel like he's not getting past the Patriots if he's still on the board. Yeah, he's a pretty smart player. Yeah, he's maybe he's lock a, strong, but you know, he's a Belichick player. It's he's just like the kind of guy that Belichick will use in like five different ways, and he'll be good, and it's he'll be fine. And you'll be just like, wow, how'd they find that guy? It's like, well, he was good. <laughs> sure. Um, we miss anybody here? We need to be talking about going down uh, the list on the defensive side of the ball. I mean. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I mean, uh, we could talk more about the safeties. Like Kyle Hamilton, we talked about. Other than that, though, like we, you kind of said, like Louis Louis Seen is somebody who could sneak in. Jaquan Brisker to me is more of an old school kind of safety. Mm-hmm. In that you're not really. It's going to depend on the defensive scheme. Like he's somebody you're not going to be as you're comfortable with him coming down playing in the box but you're not going to want him on a lot of shiftier slots and you're not really going to want him dropping back 
playing like more of a free safety kind of free roaming role. So I think he could go in the second or third round or not third round. I think he'll go in the second round, but I think it's got to be a specific fit. And then once you get past him, Kirby Joseph, I think is a player, and this is not a homer pick. This is a player. He's Illinois. He's a kind of a free safety for them who is new to the position. Like they changed Illinois completely changed its defense up after that Virginia game. They went a lot more man and he flourished once they did that kind of just playing that free range kind of free safety role where he was allowed to just drop back and just kind of go coast to coast or sideline to sideline and Hawk. Like he's very big. He's got huge wingspan. He was, he was play. I think he played on receiver in high school. So he's got like that kind of background picked off five passes. I think he's somewhat of a ball hawk and a guy who is maybe a guy that can go in the third or fourth round as somewhat of a project, not somebody you're going to want to throw out there as your day one starter unless you're the Texans and you're rebuilding at every single position. But I think that's a kid who could you know, develop into something pretty good, like an above-average NFL starter at the free safety spot. What about, uh, um, what about McDuffie? Cat wants to hear more about that. I like McDuffie, but I like all Washington cornerbacks. I just think that they've been really well coached. And part of it is the scheme. Like they they know what they're looking for and they find those guys and they coach them to fit and they play well in it. I think that the problem with McDuffie that most NFL teams are going to concern about, like you, you, you like that he's physical. You like that he's not afraid to come up and help against the run. You love all these things. He's a good cover guy. He's, you know, he, He's sticky. He can change. He, he, he changes speeds quick. It's just he's not long. And he's going to be somebody that if you're going up against a team with like a, a long top, like number one receiver, and you've got to match them up on McDuffie, it is probably going to be a very long day for Trent McDuffie. What, uh, what team do you think makes the biggest mistake in round one? The Jaguars. They've got the, they've got the biggest opportunity to make the biggest mistake because they've got the number one pick. But uh other than that, I will say any team that drafts a quarterback in the top ten. So whether that's Carolina or New Orleans or Atlanta moving up, like I think honestly, the smartest thing anybody could do, like if I'm the Chiefs or Packers and I have two first round picks. I am trading up with the Falcons or one of those teams in that range and getting like, because I think most of the first picks are going to be the corners, the offensive tackles and the edge rushers. I think the receivers are going to drop down to like that six, seven, eight, nine, ten range. So if I have like those two first round picks, like the chiefs and Packers, and I have an obvious need for receiver after losing Devonte Adams and losing Tyreek Hill, I'm using those picks as a package to move up and grab the top receiver that I have on my board. All right. The receiver to go, who is not Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Javis Williams. Give me the list again. So no Burks, no Olave, no Wilson, no London, no Jamison Williams. Jahan Dotson. Yeah, I was going to say, go in the same. I mean, he had, think about who he had thrown on the ball last year. And mm-hmm. everybody knew they were throwing it to him, and he still made plays. Another, a sleeper, though, to keep an eye on is Sky Moore from, from Western Michigan. Mm. Ask Pitt about him. Yeah. The Mac is just a wide receiver like machine. You like you think of all the NFL receivers who turned out to be really good that came from the Mac. It's like, what are they doing in the Mac to make good receivers out of it over? I think I don't know if that's gonna be true going forward. I think a lot of it might have just been at the time offenses in the Mac were a lot more wide open than the 
other conferences because they hadn't really adapted to that style of play yet at the blue blood schools. And now that we're seeing all the top receivers go to top schools, I'm getting way off track, but anyways, no sky Moore is a name that I think is going to be a very good slot receiver in the NFL. So somebody might like him. I like, I like Dotson. I think of some teams might look at Dotson and say, that's a slot guy. I think he can play on the outside. I think he's just as good in the slot. I don't think he's limited there. I think he's a guy you could put all sorts of different positions around. And I think he's just a, he, he makes plays. He he gets the ball. He high points it. He he can go up against bigger defensive backs and leap over them. He can find the soft spot in the zone. I just think he's a really smart player. And like you just look at the Penn State offense the last few years, he was the Penn State offense. Like defenses were keying on him, saying we've got to take him out. And if we take him out, they really don't have a whole lot else that they can do against us. And they weren't able to take him out. So I think that's a player that's kind of flying under the radar that somebody can get. And then another receiver that I hear NFL teams like, like I, we've talked positive about him on this show over the years, but like none of us have, tri- I don't think we've ever really been overly, you know, throwing flowers at him. But John Mechie is somebody that like NFL teams like. I was going to go there. Yeah. I, I I do think that like Bama really liked him and uh, Sarkeesian liked him as well a whole lot. I don't know about first round, but, and if you can he find might, odds, man. he might go early second though. He might be like yeah. that first receiver taken after the first round. And I don't think you see, like, if you look at a lot of the prospect rankings or mock drafts, you don't really see him going that early, but just from, I've heard whispers that he could be like in that 33 to 40 range. So that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you have any other thoughts about the NFL draft? Are you excited? Or do you, do you watch the draft? You know, I used to always watch the draft. I felt like you could just put it on on a Saturday if you were doing some stuff around the house. And now it's at night. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it. Uh, I just Twitter changed it for me too. Yeah, because you know? it's it's always spoiling what the picks are. Like I will watch the first round, even though it is interminable. Like they've just dragged that thing out like there's no way in hell a first round of a draft should last three and a half to four hours which is what they do to it then i will watch the second and third round live and then typically by saturday when they get through the last four rounds i'm following it but i'm not watching it i agree so uh here's just a quick question for you before we get going here give me your hottest take about this and this draft what is the one thing that nobody knows that's going to happen that you're going to people are going to look back now in a year from now and think you're either a genius or you're a moron None of the QBs will make a Pro Bowl. I, I agree. I think that's solid. Mine is that the best player in this draft will be taken outside the top 20. I think that when you look back at their careers, the most successful player in this draft will be taken outside the top 20 picks. So come back to this in 10 years and see if I was right or see if I was a complete moron. I'm, I'm leaning towards moron, but I might be right. So, uh, yeah, so that's a good place to end it. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, if you haven't liked this video and you're watching it live on YouTube right now, do it. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to us on all the podcast platforms. And uh, we will be back tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to be live tomorrow, if we're going to have another summer school. We'll figure that out. You should tune in and find out yourself. But, uh, but thank you for joining us today, and thank you for helping me out with the last half of our NFL draft preview. No doubt about it. Enjoy, bud. Later.